welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer. So great to have you with us here on Call-In, or if you're listening later on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or fromers.com slash podcast, welcome, welcome, welcome. My guest is a woman who has edited what I can only call a rapturous new book. Uh, It's called Letters to a Stranger, Essays to the Ones Who Haunt Us. She is Colleen Kinder. Uh, Welcome to the Fromer Travel Show, Colleen. Thank you so much, Pauline. I'm thrilled to be here. So did I pronounce your last name right? I should have asked you that before you we started did. speaking. You did. <laughs> Good. Kindergarten. You got it. <laughs> Good. And I didn't know because you and I are strangers and you've had me thinking so much about the difference in our lives between the people we know well and the people who we don't know but who still move us. I guess because... Mm-hmm. I started reading this book while I was on the road. I was in Michigan, Hmm. and I had been reading it for a couple of hours, and then I took an Uber drive uh, to to dinner, and I started talking with my driver, and it became clear very quickly that we were on the opposite sides of the the current political divide here in the United Mm -hmm. States, Uh, but he had such a poetic way of speaking that even though I didn't agree with him, I was able to compliment him on, on his language. And that led to a very respectful talk. And at the end of our ride, he said, I feel so lucky to have met you. And I said, I, I feel the same way because I learned so much from him about mm. what folks who I don't necessarily agree with, the way they uh, their logic works. And... I was really hoping that he was going to be my ride on the way back because I was going to read. <laughs> I was going to read parts of your book to him. Uh, so well, that's so lovely. Well, it, it is for us too, but I feel like I'm leaving out our listeners. So we should tell our listeners what is the premise of the book. The premise of the book is that we all have strangers who haunt us in interesting ways. They could be people we met on world journeys 20 years ago. They could be strangers from the subway in our own cities. But um, I approached a number of writers and asked them to write a letter to a stranger and specifically to somebody who made a strong impression on them And I asked these writers to write an essay to figure out why this person stuck with them. So to kind of circle around that mystery of how can an ephemeral person leave such an eternal mark? And the results were really astounding. Um, They inspired a, a column called Letter to Stranger on the literary magazine Off Assignment, which I co-founded with Vince Erico Erico a number of years ago. And that column really took on a life of its own and inspired this book. So about half the essays. Before before we go into the essays, Mm. I've got to say it's a brilliant idea. How did you you come to this idea? How did you know that this would work so well? Great question. Well, I mean, I have to go back in time further to my experience in the classroom, because I would say that this really took root in the classroom uh, when I was teaching at Yale 
about, I think at this point, almost 10 years ago. Hmm. Um, and one thing that has always happened to me as a writing teacher is I marvel at what my students can churn out when I give them a really specific writing prompt. So like, it's mm. almost like the more specific, the better, the more generative. Um, and I have a case of envy oftentimes as a writer myself <laughs> when I see what they can do in five minutes sitting together in the room, you know, without even the chance to revise. They very often come out with astonishing stories on the spot. And so I think there was part of me that began to wonder why are writing prompts just the tool of students, mm. of like novice writers? Like, why can't we, why can't we carry this out into the professional realm? Um, and I think as a writer myself, I'm somebody who's drawn to infinitude and limitless spaces, which means I really need limits. I really need constraints. <laughs> um, so I felt drawn to them myself and intrigued by what would happen if I used a writing prompt that I might design for the classroom among my peers, among professional writers. But the person who really sparked the idea even more concretely was the travel writer Pico Iyer, who oh, he's amazing. Yeah, he's just the loveliest human ever. Um, in addition to being a, a wonderful writer, yes, he came to speak to my students. This class I was teaching at Yale, a travel writing class. And, you know, I had prepared rigorously for his <laughs> arrival and had lots of questions about his craft and the essays I'd assigned to my students that I knew they had read and loved and wanted to talk about. And I didn't really have a chance to ask many questions at all because he just started telling the behind the scenes stories about what it was like to report for these particular essays we'd read. And specifically, he regaled us about his reporting trip to Iceland for Time Magazine, during which he met a really magnetic Icelandic stranger, a woman with whom he walked the street for hours and shared a lot with. And it wasn't mm. a, a story of a great romance, but it was a very significant connection to him and one that clearly stuck with him very doggedly over the decades to the point that when he sat down to talk to us about what it was like to be a travel writer, that's what came out. And huh. when I asked him whether he'd ever told that story, whether he'd ever written it for any publication, his no really rattled something inside of me. Like I, I was, I was disconcerted to hear that he'd never told that story because clearly it had such meaning. Mm. And I myself could think of so many strangers that I'd met in my foreign journeys that had a similar power over me and right. I'd never been, I'd never been commissioned to write about them. I'd never found the space to write about them. And so I started to think about what would happen if we approached writers with this very specific question of who is it in your history, in your, in your wanderings through this world that you have something to say back to who is the stranger that rises up in memory? And I asked this question rather casually to a number of writers who I really respected and who I was close to, like Leslie Jameson and Lavinia Spaulding, um, people who were travel writers, but right. I knew were also like very soulful writers and literary writers. And their responses were just so affirming that it was almost like I couldn't not pursue the idea. I wasn't 
aiming to start a magazine, but the concept just seemed to kind of take on a life of its own. Well, I want to say, I mean, a lot of writers take an assignment before they travel and promise the editor, I'm going to bring back X, Y, and Z. And yet these strangers, you say this in the book, I'm, I'm quoting you, but badly, uh, these strangers come up and often give us stories that are even more interesting, but because we've already promised what we're going to cover, their stories don't get told, but they did in your magazine and they do in this book. I thought that was such an interesting thing that I think you said in the book that every every writer you asked, when you go on assignment, uh, do you ever not write about the most compelling thing? And, mm. and pretty much mm-hmm. everyone said yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it was... It was so affirming and there was such a resounding sense of, yes, there's, there really should be a space for stories like this for exactly the reason that you just outlined. Like we, we claim to editors that we know what we will find out there in the, in the big bad world. But of course, of course, we have no idea what is going to be the right. most conspicuous or interesting thing when we get to Costa Rica or Nigeria, like it, it's, it's, it's really impossible to know in advance uh, yeah. what you're going to find. And so we, we do a lot of promising and proposing, but ultimately <laughs> um, the stories find us. Yes, absolutely. And what I like is in the book, you divide the stories into different subjects somewhat. They're, they're, they're very broad subjects, but uh, I'm opening the book as we speak. I should have done this before. Like there's one symmetry, mystery, uh, chemistry, gratitude, wonder, remorse. And it, it, it all shows, you know, when I first heard about the book, I thought, okay, this is going to be a book about a lot of really thrilling one night stands. Yeah, <laughs> that that was my cynical approach because I thought, well, that's that happens a lot on the road, and you actually wrote not about a one night stand, but a, a morning of surprise physical intimacy with a stranger. Uh, can you talk about that, and then we'll talk about some of the other types of stories that are in the book. Sure. Well, thank you for sharing your expectation because I'm finding it <laughs> fascinating to hear what people expected when they approached this book. And I was recently speaking with a writer whose essay I put in the remorse section of the book. And he was like, you know, honestly, I was a little disappointed to be in the remorse section because of (laughs) course, like apology letters, like that's the first thing you think of when you think about strangers. Whereas other people have said that gratitude, like thank you letters to strangers seemed like the most obvious category. Hmm. But um, but yes, there is a section of the book called chemistry. And I put an essay of my own in that section. It's about a morning in France when I was 33 years old and a very single and <laughs> um, in such a different place than I am right now. Currently, I am seven months pregnant with my second child. Congratulations. In a very different phase of life. Um, which is in part why I'm so glad that I wrote that essay, because it almost feels like I bottled up this rare moment in time. But anyways, I was teaching in France and my students had been out late in this little town and were drinking and, you know, obviously about going to sleep in. So I 
rose really early with this kind of like sense of strength. And here I am, this badass woman on her own, you know, with this great job in France. And I, I was climbing to the top of a hill, a very steep hill in a town called Rocamadour. And I encountered uh, a French stranger, um, a handsome man. And we, I, I almost had like too much energy. Like I couldn't keep it to myself. <laughs> I was in such an ecstatic mood that morning and kind of feeling like a desire to celebrate the terms of my life at that particular mm-hmm. moment. And we ended up chatting and very quickly, I kind of realized like, this stranger was interested in making out with me and I was interested in making out with him. And it, all it took was for me to stop talking and look him in the eye. And, um, a former me, a younger version of myself would have shied away from those things and blushed and kind of scurried off. But, um, I felt kind of challenged to just meet the moment and meet his gaze. And I did. And the essay is, you know, it's about, it's about that kiss and about that, you know, five minutes on a hillside with him. Right. But it's really also kind of a celebration of a particular age in my life. And uh, I wrote it in this era of feeling like so much when you're a single woman in your early 30s is is defined by not having a partner mm. and either you're you're constantly kind of put in touch with or reminded that you're missing something. And to me, that morning was all about not what I was missing, but what I had and what I possessed and and the way I was living my life. And so it was kind of a love song to the age. Yeah. Well, what I loved about it was you guys parted with no regrets. It was a Mm. moment in time and, you know, it it wasn't, uh, what's that famous movie with uh, Julie Delpy and, you know, they have to meet many, many years later for it to mean something. It meant something and it was just a beautiful moment on a very sunny morning in a, in a gorgeous medieval town. Uh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. it just was the essence of romance to me in that way, in a certain way. Uh, and then you had another one. I, I don't have the author's name, but uh, it wasn't a travel one, but it, it had to do with the fact that she had a very ill baby. Mm-hmm. And the way strangers treated her and treated the child could really either make her day better or make it much worse. Can you talk a little bit about that one? I found that very moving. Sure. Oh, I'm so glad because I really adore that essay and think it's doing something so unique in the scheme of the book. And in fact, I thought about making it the very last essay in the book um, because Mm. it ends on such a beautiful note and, and with such a gorgeous sentence. That essay is by Robin Rahm, who is a fiction writer and a nonfiction writer. And yeah, she's writing about a moment of great vulnerability. I mean, she's just had a baby. Her baby has health issues and has some, I think, like a feeding tube of some sort. Right. And so when she moves through space with this child, she gets looks from from strangers. And she really adeptly captures how the, the kind of repulsed look on the face of a stranger can be so crushing to her yeah. as a new mother. 
And as somebody who's like feeling excited to bring her child to the grocery store and all of a sudden gets looked at like, ooh, what are you doing here? Um, but on the contrary, she also captures what it's like to meet the gaze of the very opposite kind of stranger, somebody who just treats her normally, says, oh, you know, how old is your baby? Or, you know, asks her the, the normal, right. normal line of questions that you would ask a new mother and engages with her as though nothing is wrong. And it really captures how a simple glance or comment from a stranger can really dash us, but also lift us up. And, and to me, conveys just how much power these people on the periphery of our lives have. Yeah. I, I once read a study about strangers and the release of endorphins. And apparently mm. uh, our interactions with strangers release as many endorphins, if it's a pleasant interaction, as those uh, with those who are close to us do. Uh, that there's something wow. about human interaction. I don't know how they studied that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I thought that was fascinating, and I was thinking about it as I was reading that essay. Can I ask, how's, how is her baby now? Do you know? Her baby's great. I am oh, thrilled to say I follow this writer on on Instagram and see photos of her two gorgeous daughters all the time. Uh, yeah, no, she's she's doing wonderfully. Oh, good. And there was another interesting essay. It was called To the Lady Who Spared Me an Orange. It's by Sarah Menkadik. And I marked it because I wanted to read just a little bit of the beginning of it. She writes, I was scared of everything then, the chipping clay pitchers that held atoll, the grayish blue smoke from the fireworks, the bugs. Still, even as early motherhood plunged me into full body, full time fear. I wanted my baby to know the wild openness of travel. Bus rides deep into the mountains, a tiny village down a dirt road, turkey calls, coffee and beer at shared tables with strangers. This part of me kept poking her head above the waterline of the fear, trying to swim. Um, mm. To me, that, that in a way, it, it, yes, it's about early motherhood, but I think it's also about something that's very rarely talked about in travel writing, which is sometimes there is this deep fear. You're, you're totally a fish out of water. Uh, you're, it takes some courage uh, to really go to very, very foreign places and, and put yourself out there like that. Um, can you talk a little bit about that story? Because I, I love the way it resolves. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that piece, too. And Sarah Menkadek is a great example of the kind of writers you and I were talking about earlier, these people who have dabbled in travel writing, but also write essays. And um, Sarah has written some some wonderful nonfiction books um, on other topics. Uh, she's a brilliant writer. I love that essay because it's about such a simple moment between these two strangers. Um, this woman just hands her an orange and uh, this woman in Oaxaca, Mexico. And to me, it's an essay about vulnerability and about a moment in time when you feel kind of cracked open and like for whatever reason, like whether it's because of loss, whether it's because of, you know, a new life, you feel cracked open to the world. You know, some people might feel that right now after multiple years of being yeah. inside this pandemic, when they go on their first trip, like they're just going to feel more 
open um, and and kind of vulnerable in an interesting way that makes you more receptive to people. Um, and Sarah really writes beautifully about that particular state of mind and 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 state of like porousness. Right. Um, I mean, I have to imagine to the Oaxacan woman this 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 gesture like it might not have meant that much, but in the scheme of Sarah's life and history, it was a it was a very charged moment. Well, and- I think she she kind of masterfully. Uh, in very few words, uh, makes it clear what the relationship was because this woman, I believe, was a vendor. And mm-hmm. so this woman who was somebody who made her living selling uh, what she gave for free uh, to the author. Uh, and there was a difference in how much money the author probably had versus the vendor. And yet, because it was a woman-to-woman moment. Mm-hmm. She didn't offer to pay, and the woman didn't ask her to pay. It was it was truly a, a moment of communion that that she writes about so beautifully. Uh, it, it was I, I thought she just did an amazing job distilling all of the different things that were going on in that moment. Because every moment can be really complex mm-hmm. if you if mm-hmm. you really drill down into it, and and she she brings that to light. What was one of the stories that you found very surprising within this theme? One story that was submitted by Rachel Yoder, a novelist based in Iowa City. She wrote the book Night Bitch, which came out recently. She wrote a letter to a man who stalked her when she was in high school Mm. in a small town in Ohio. And it's... um, you know, definitely not a thank you letter to that man. (laughs) I would say it's driven by anger and even rage um, and yet beautifully crafted. I mean, very, I was just telling one of our editors at Off Assignment who's struggling to edit an essay that has anger at its core that Rachel's essay is a perfect glimmering example of an essay that is driven by anger, but but so well sculpted such that we can feel, we can feel wisdom come through and we're just with her in every single line and, and really have to experience the terror that she felt as a young girl when she was treated like somebody's prey. And I am so grateful for that essay uh, for so many reasons. One, I think it, it gives the book, like a balance because it's not strangers aren't always good. Exactly. Exactly. And if I think of this book as like a, a jewel that has many bevels on it, it's, it's such a distinct bevel on that, on that jewel. But also because, you know, I've never been preyed upon like that, you know, I've never been stalked. And I think that, you know, for the rest of my life, whenever I hear a story or encounter a narrative of, of a woman who is, I will have like kind of in my, in my deep in my bones, um, a visceral memory of what it was like to be inside of that essay. And I was really astonished hmm. by it. Wow. Uh, I thought it was great that not only were you inspired by Pico Iyer, but he was inspired back and he wrote, I thought a fascinating essay about a stranger who he had met, who he had written about and how that kind of changed the equation 
Um, I'd, I'd love it if you could flesh out a little bit of what Pico wrote about. Sure. Yeah. Well, I hope I'm doing these essays justice because you definitely there, are. There's <laughs> there's so much going on in all of them, and I think Pico's is a great example. I mean, it is about friendship and about vulnerability and how we take these tremendous trust falls when we travel. I mean, that essay opens with him arriving at a train station or I think it's a train station, maybe it's an airport, but you know, the moment of arrival in Myanmar and pretty quickly deciding to ride with this trackshaw driver who he ends up staying with. Um, he actually stays at his house rather than going to a hotel. So he takes a tremendous leap of faith with this young man who he develops a very strong friendship. So it's an essay about friendship, but also about, I think more subtly about the guilt of having written about somebody um, and somebody who might be in a more vulnerable position. He worries, Pico worries that this man who he wrote about in his books um, might have been um, kind of decipherable and uh, might have paid political consequences for... because they, they became uh, pen pals. I mean, they 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 ended up having a longer relationship, and he wrote about him, and then some of his readers tracked the man down from what Pico had described. Yeah, right, and n- a number of times. I mean, the essay is kind of uncanny. It's a, it's amazing how much <laughs> Pico's writing like has repercussions, and he's continually kind of reminded that that people are reading and able to decode who this person is, even though he feels like he has disguised him um, in his in his prose. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the essay takes so many different turns and ultimately and, and also there are moments, there are long periods of time in which he hears nothing from the stranger and then he right. will get a letter in the mail from him. So it's it's this really long epic relationship between the two of them and ultimately he just I think wonders with hope whether the stranger is glad that they met and glad that they took this trust fall with each other or whether you know he's caused the stranger trouble and whether the stranger regrets having kind of opened up to him so it's, it's there's it's complex, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, absolutely. When you tell people about the book, is there one story that you find yourself telling them about? Well, if there's one story that I feel like encapsulates my wonder for strangers and my sense of gravity towards them, I would say it's Anjali Sachdeva's essay that's set at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. She writes to a fellow hiker that she met while hiking the Grand Canyon. A, a, a man who is a, has children and a wife who are behind him, right? Correct. Man, ah, yes. you really did read this book cover to cover. <laughs> I didn't read it cover to cover. I still have a couple that <laughs> I missed, but I, I like that one very much. Go, so tell about that one. <laughs> yeah, I just love it. It's so, every time I read it, I just marvel at Anjali. She does so much with so few words. It's a very short essay. And she she takes us from her original stance of some degree of skepticism towards the stranger. Like, who is this guy? Is he going to hit on me? She's been traveling on her own. She's been, um, you know, propositioned by married men on her journeys. And, and she's she's somewhat skeptical. And then she realizes this is a benign stranger. He just is resting at the same place she is. 
And he's not as alone as he looks. He's got a wife and two daughters who are hiking behind him. And she starts to think about why is why has he walked ahead of them? Mm-hmm. And they open up to each other. And he's quite candid about how parenting has changed his life. And he warns her in a very gentle and honest way that if she does choose to become a mother, that things will never quite be the same and that she should be somewhat on guard as as a woman who likes to take care of people, which she confesses that she is, that she's even more vulnerable to kind of losing herself as a parent. And the essay ends on this amazing note where you you kind of feel the tick of the clock because you know any moment now his wife and children will appear and that connection between them will be ruptured right. and no longer will they have that space of intimacy in which they can really, really be honest with each other for this fleeting moment. And she reflects that they were more honest with each other than they could be to the people in their lives. And Mm. I think that to me has always been one of the magic powers of strangers that they create an aperture for us, an opportunity for even greater honesty because They aren't figures in our past. They aren't figures in our future. They're just people that we connect with in this very particular moment in time. And that's all we have with them. Right, right. So, you know, as I started, I started out this conversation telling you that I I was reading this on the road, which I think is actually a great way to to read it because it's it's two two to three page essays mostly, which is great uh, because, you know, if if you're in an airport, you can get one done, uh, fully concentrate on it and then look up and make sure your plane isn't leaving. Uh, (laughs) What do you hope that do or do you hope that this will somehow affect the reader's interaction with the world when they're when they're out in the world, whether they be traveling or just uh, traveling in their home cities or communities. Well, I will say this conversation with you has awoken some of that hope because as you were talking, I just loved the idea that reading this book while traveling would open a person up more to the strangers around them. I have been hearing such wonderful things about this book from readers, but mostly it's about, you know, the, the, the quality of the writing and the great stories. And that's sure. really where a lot of conversations have focused. Um, but I just, I love the idea that this book could be a catalyst for somebody who's out on the road. And I think sometimes we need to be reminded of the value of taking small risks and being that person who opens a conversation with a stranger. I mean, I, I do feel a number of parallels between <laughs> between conversing with strangers and dating. I mean, there's mm. there there's back when I was dating, I didn't think twice about messaging someone on an app and sort of hitting on them virtually because I felt like why waste time? There's so much to gain and I think oftentimes we censor ourselves and worry, "Oh, is that comment about the weather going to sound stupid or is that person going to be annoyed that I asked, you know, where are you traveling to when you get to Tokyo? Um, but what do we, what do we really have to lose? Not much, a few seconds of social pain, but what we have to gain, you can see in this book, like there are so many potential 
ways in which our lives can be enriched and deepened and complicated by strangers. Absolutely. And I would say probably maybe 80% of travelers or 90% when they're asked what the highlight of a trip was, it's usually an interaction with another human being, more so than what they've seen, more so Mm -hmm. than seeing the Mona Lisa in person or being at Machu Picchu or whatever it is. I think that that when we tell the story of our trip afterwards, even non-travel writers, even non-writers, it's usually about, and then I was lost. So I had to ask somebody and they did this and that. And to me, that's the essence of travel. And it's it's, uh, so beautifully and varied, variedly, is that a word, <laughs> uh, brought to life in this book. Uh, so, so many, many congratulations, Colleen. It just oh, was a you. delight to read. We will say goodbye uh, for this week's show. I thank you so much for anybody tuning in late once again. Uh, the book is called Letter to a Stranger, Essays to the Ones Who Haunt Us. And Colleen Kinder, my guest, was the editor. Uh, thank you so much again, Colleen. Thank you, Pauline, for such a thoughtful read and some great questions. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. And and thank you all for listening. And to anybody who is traveling, may I wish you all a hearty bon voyage. I'll see you next week.